right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking Pit. I'm extremely excited for our guest today, Jonas Dodu. Um, he is currently the head coach for Speedworks Training. If you haven't checked it out, go and do that. Uh, he consults with pro football, rugby, um, for speed, power, rehab, training, uh, does a little bit of everything. I was lucky enough to go over to the UK and see him not too, too long ago. But welcome, Jonas, to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, it's an honor. And Jonas has been to Pittsburgh as well. We did a conference last year. Uh, it was super exciting with him and Ryan Grubbs. Uh, I know we got a lot of great feedback. I know it was a little bit chillier when he came over to Pittsburgh, but it was awesome. And hopefully we can get him back over here at some point. But Jonas, uh, if you wouldn't mind, can you just share a brief overview of your professional background um, so people can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, so I'm a coach. I've always been a coach. I um started playing rugby and and fell in love with speed and power and and went on a bit of a search to find um better more efficient world-class ways of developing speed for team sport players um uh, what i found was lots of coaches in essence in in team sports coaching speed but not at the the level that i thought was really expert level so i chased the world i found dan path in 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 uh in California at the time and studied him and, and based my master's thesis on him and I came back to the UK and I was blessed because nine months later he was employed um to to work for UK athletics and the build up to our to our Olympics in 2012. So I got a job under him. I had four years being his apprentice coach um and then carried on coaching track and field as a non-track and field athlete. I, I hadn't worn any spikes. I threw javelin in school um, I've still got our, our county record, but I didn't sprint. I've never run out of blocks um, and then found some kids and, and coached them for six or eight years. And they ran fast and run sub 10, broke some records, got some medals. Um, then I found myself back in rugby, um, back in football. And, and now I'm consulting with, with football, rugby, NFL, AFL, rugby league, um, and just basically taking the key heuristics from track and field and applying them to help people become healthy, more efficient, repeat sprint in their games, um, to create models that are specific to their positions. Um, today you will hear me talk about my my key heuristics. And, and I think really the reason I went into track and field, out of rugby, back into rugby and football was to understand the nuances of movement, efficient movement, productive movement, and then figure out how to fit it into the game model, fit it into the, the position-specific model and, and make sense of, of how you, you take those fundamentals and apply it to racket sports, apply it to changing direction, breaking, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. I know I'm someone that really works well in models and systems because we have 19 different sports here at Pitt that I oversee. And anytime you give me a model or system, I always can find a way to apply it in different manners, like you're saying, depending on the sport and the KPIs um, and apply it accordingly in some way, shape or form. So I'm excited to hear um, your presentation today, Jonas. This is the first time we've done um, this presentation style uh, PIP performance podcast. So super excited. Uh, Jonas is going to dive into a little bit of the coaching eye, um, whether it's seeing movement and then also high, having an eye for movement, what to look for, which we all know is extremely beneficial um, and applicable to our day-to-day basis. So Jonas, I'll let you take things from here and, and dive on in. Awesome. So 
Um, I often start with with this slide because by looking deeper and deeper into running and different aspects and different elements of running models and how movements and muscles uh, interact, how, you know, by understanding the movement, which is the end product, that's really important. That makes sense. Sometimes people say movements, not muscles, but actually if you look deep into, into functional anatomy, you look deep into understanding how, um, uh, moment arm bias and how just muscle shape and penation angles for tendons how, how these things impact when a muscle is in an advantageous place or when it's at disadvantage just understanding muscle physiology can then help you make sense of what muscles matter more at different elements or different phases in the running cycle now before i go into this i, I always say um or when I do workshops, I'll often I'll ask people, put your hands up if you feel confident about understanding what efficient movement looks like. If you watch the player moving right now, you watch two different players, put your hand up if you're really clear. And some people will, will say yes, no, maybe in the middle, like Steph is in the middle, it all depends. And I would say, trust me, but actually most of my confidence comes from the research. And if in doubt, just go to the SSC Sanctuary Group. They've done so much great work with, with post-rehab, post-surgical rehab, with non-surgical rehab, understanding the 3D movement patterns um, of the pelvis, of the trunk, uh, during running, stopping, et cetera, um, and have, have, have done it. They've done the work for us. And I'm dyslexic, so even though I read the papers, I love the pictures. So I've been presenting this diagram probably for about eight years. I don't even know when did the paper come out, but I presented it as, as soon as I found it um, because it just helps us to make sense of some of the fundamentals that we should really care about. And um, so without trusting me, if you, if you struggle to trust me, go and read the research because a lot of it is out there already. So well, I'm just gonna watch a player Hopefully it's not too bitty on the screen for you guys. Sometimes it can be jumpy on, on Zoom. Okay, great. And uh, here's a Sheffield United player, so a soccer player who came to me. One session, we've seen the before, we've seen the after. And sometimes all we need to say to players is they need to run in front of themselves, not behind themselves. That can be the easiest and simplest cue. And people make arguments that track and field is not, team sports and there's a rationale for being behind yourself whereas there really isn't like the, the reality is that if you have your pelvis orientated in a in, in an effective way where you can get the right kind of stretch reflex in your hip flexors that when you push and extend your leg behind you it should recoil and punch forwards aggressively and and if it punches forwards aggressively and your legs are in front, you've got time and space to attack the ground. And time and space to attack the ground provides pretension, allows your, your muscles to secure the tendon and means that the shearing and any, any stretching that's actually happening, some people, the, the physiologists will argue exactly what is happening and where it's happening. So maybe I should stop there and, and not make a statement about the stretch. But essentially, we know that if there is time and space for muscles to contract, that it prepares the tendon for a better use, more efficient use on the ground. So first things first, 
if we can run in front of ourselves more than behind ourselves, then generally players are run faster, are able to be more efficient so they can hold their speed for longer. Um, and there's less stress and strain on your posterior chain and your groin. So just in general, um, that's an in easy concept. And hopefully you can see the, the, the difference between the runs and I'll play them again here. So I'm not saying backside mechanics is bad. I'm saying backside mechanics without the appropriate frontside is bad. I'm saying uh, a backside mechanics that interferes or prevents there being much back and frontside mechanics is bad. But if you want to prepare for the ground, you need to have frontside mechanics. If you want to orientate your force and, and, and actually push yourself forward, you need some backside mechanics. Don't listen to Twitter. Everyone wants to say it's one or the other. It's now rogue to say, oh, look at that lovely backside mechanics. It's not one or the other. It's, it's about finding that nice balance. Now, creating a shared language is really what. Um, so projection. So when when I talk about a shared language, I, I create words. Like I said, I'm a bit dyslexic, a bit, bit ADHD, a bit on the spectrum, a bit different. Yeah, a bit different. Everyone thinks I'm a bit different. And the reality is that my difference allows me to go, okay, well, here's complex themes and complex calculations and, and equations, but actually here are simple ways to look at it. So when I think about velocity, distance and time, I break it into three areas. I break it into projection. So projection is firstly about how far you can displace yourself. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if we can push backwards and down into the ground, we'll push ourselves forwards and up. So projection is really made up of hip extension. How far can you push your foot backwards behind yourself? Once you finish making a big shape, so if we talk to athletes and we start to illustrate things, we talk about making big shapes, big separation between your knees, big pushes off the back. Once you finish making that big shape or opening the scissor, you must switch. And switching is just about closing the scissor. It's about attacking down and back. When I look at hamstring injuries and I look at rehabbers and I'm, I'm looking at compensation strategies, this is the first thing that they lose or the first thing that they prevent themselves from doing or avoid. When you don't want to use your posterior chain elastically, you prevent yourself from switching back. You allow your foot to land passively on the floor. When you want to take slack out of your tendons, when you want to create high rates of force development, if you want to spike your ground contact, then actually attacking back is going to be critical. So switching is about is all about attacking back and punching the knee forwards to close the scissor. If you do that well, you can create a stiff and stable base. And that's all we're talking about with reactivity. If you can create a stiff and stable base, guess what? You can project yourself again fast. If you have a soft landing, and you have to roll and amortize through your shin and your hip. Your, your hip will delay its extension. It won't push early. It will push late. It will push slow. And guess what? Being frontside is all based on being quick, reactive, and explosive in the pushing phase so that you don't have to push long and slow behind yourself and so that you can recover quickly and get yourself back in front. So a reactive ankle allows you to push quicker, 
to be more efficient and also recover yourself quicker. Get your foot back in front, ready to push again. If you do these things well, you will have what I call organic transition. This slow or gradual rising of your hip and your trunk is not just something that technical athletes do because they've been taught it by a sprint coach. If you're aggressive in pushing forwards, uh, if you're aggressive in projecting yourself and, and you always attack back, naturally you will push your hips up because your foot's traveling down and back into the ground. So smooth transition is a good sign that you've been able to project, switch, and react. So uh, Ryan Grubbs and I have created a, a new company. So I'm Speedwatch Training, but we've also got a, a new company, Speed Solutions. I'm, I'm uh, showing you right now. I hope you guys are taking note. Um, speed, speed, uh, Solutions.training um, is our new company. We, we combine use of ViewMotion, which is a, an AI-based 2D video analysis tool and um, our, our expertise, our time in the trenches, our, our big database, and, and we give you guys feedback. So rather than just using ViewMotion, which by all means you can, we can sell you ViewMotion alone and you can collect all the data, 60, 70 pieces of data for one run. And you can gnaws over it and you can geek over it. And I love that. Me and Ryan love the raw data. But 99% of our clients across the NFL and Premier League, um, AFL, across most of the clients we work with, um, they don't want the data. They want the message. They don't want information. They want knowledge and wisdom. And if you just collect lots of data, that's all you've got is information. Whereas most coaches are like, tell us meaningful messages and even give us some exercises so we can go away and work on it. So that's what we do. Now, to understand our reports, I'm, I'm just going to go through some of the data right now. When I watch a run, how I train my coaching eye is to go through these key questions that are on the screen right now. But rather than talk it through, I will show you through a case study. So we have a uh, the same player training with Sheffield United Academy. Um, they've given me permission to share this. Harry Jell and the group at Sheffield, Carl and his and his crew have done an amazing job to really implement speed training with a professional football environment. And so what we're seeing is a before and after, uh, a number of months in between these tests. And let me just explain what's coming on the screen. So for every single data point, be it a ground contact time, a velocity, or even a 10 meter split, we will always give you a STEN score next to your, your data point. So if you run 1.9 seconds from zero to 10, and we measure this from the first foot movement, not the timing gate time, first foot movement. So our times will always traditionally be a bit slower than what you would measure if you measured with timing gates. There's so much variability in timing gates that you really shouldn't care about your 10 meter time from the timing gate. Flying times, you should care about that we have very similar times. Zero to 10, there's so much variation. Anyway, side side note. Um, any data we get, we will always give you a STEM score. So in this individual, if he runs 1.9 to 10 meters, that's 36, of, uh, 36 score. So he's below average here. But actually, he's 193 years way below average, for example. 
So everything that you see, you might see a time and it's going to it's going to show you that it's a time in seconds or you might just see a number by itself. That's a Sten score. Important to recognize as we watch this report. So he's clearly a bit faster and actually 0.3 in a 10 is, is significant. 0.03 is still significant. But what really changed was each area. He's a tiny bit more reactive. He clearly has better switching and his distance, his projection, how far he travels each step is actually clearly different. So his total PSR score is very much um, improved. But what does that mean? Don't trust the numbers or what my words, trust your eyes. What does that mean? What has changed in the run? Well, clearly, even from his zero step and his first step, he's traveling further each step. So his projection score is, is higher. But how is he projecting further? He's making bigger shapes. So he's not just projecting further, but the range of motion between his thighs is bigger. His airtime. When we, when we look at projection, I ask myself, is he traveling far? Great. But how much time did he spend in the air? Because in acceleration, airtime is your foe. In max velocity, airtime is your friend. So what we see in acceleration is that if you can spend relatively low amounts of time in the air, but travel really far, then you've done a great job. In this scenario, we're, we're recognizing that his, his airtime score actually is not as good as his uh, in his faster run. So all we're saying here is he's got more projection, but he's also spent a bit more time in the air in order to do so. So he's traveling further, he's making bigger shapes, but he's having to spend more time in the air to do so. In this scenario, it's productive. Not all your scores have to be elite. Some people are more air dominant, some people more ground dominant. It's about finding the right mix to increase your velocity, increase your acceleration. So his projection score improves. We're clear about how he improved it. What about his switching score? So his switching score actually in total is the same between the two reps. Uh, I'm lying, I'm wrong. His switching score is better, but his range of motion and the actual thigh angle velocity that he creates, which some people wanna care about, some people don't, is actually very similar. He attacks back in a very similar way. But actually when he finishes pushing, this is where he gets his most improvement in his score. When he finishes pushing against the ground, he punches his knee forwards more aggressively. He doesn't just get there quicker, he gets through more range in that similar amount of time. So his switching score improves specifically because actually he punches through more aggressively and he has more space and more time to attack back. Then when we look to reactivity, his reactivity score is better. So his ground contact time, again, in acceleration, we inverse ground contact time. So the less time you are on the ground, the higher the score will give you. But not just ground contact time is improved. His 
range of motion in that small amount of time. So he doesn't just spend less time on the ground. He also goes through more range when he's on the ground. So his thigh angle of velocity on the ground is higher. But his range of motion is less. So he has less of a score for range of motion on the ground. And I don't mind that at all. What, what it sounds like, the message I'm getting from this report is that he has higher thigh angle of velocities, especially in punching his knee through. He doesn't waste as much time pushing on the ground. He's quicker off the ground, but he also travels well. He utilizes the ground so effectively that he doesn't need to spend time pushing further behind himself. So he's got more frontside mechanics and acceleration. He's more reactive and actually it's given him more bang for his buck. So projection switching and reactivity, they're just summary terms that summarize multiple data points. But for the athlete, they just need to know, am I traveling and am I make, making big shapes? Am I opening the scissor? Am I, am I really pushing and making big shapes? Great. When I finish, do I exchange? Do I close the scissor? Do I tap down and back to be stiff and create pretension? And do I punch my knee forwards to give me a bit more momentum and set up the next stride? And reactivity. When I land on the ground, do I have system stiffness? Not just do I have a stiff ankle and do I not have uh, and do I have short ground contact times, but actually, can I create system stiffness throughout my whole body so that the short time I'm spending actually means I'm also getting displacement in that amount of time and the same thing we see in rsi yes you might have a ground contact time of 0.15 or 0.12 or 0.18 great but how how high are you jumping if you're not jumping very high spend more time on the ground to get the displacement and gradually learn how to stiffen up and increase that rate of force development but it's rate of force development not just rate we don't just care about quick times we want force output in small amounts of time so react, projection, switching, reactivity are just summary terms that if you don't want to do a PhD in biomechanics, but you want to be able to understand your core principles, the outcome variables, and, and essentially how it all sticks together in, in, in a synergistic way, projection, switching, and reactivity is just your dummy's guide to biomechanics. I won't delve too much into this, but a lot of the time, we take basic principles like PSR, projection switching and reactivity, and then we take it onto the field. And we spend a lot of time with coaches and physios and technical coaches who are very much like, great, I, I know I want him, I want my player to be faster over 10 metres or be able to fly faster to chase a ball. However, they need to do it in position-specific ways. And um, this player here can't sort out his feet. He... He, he's not agile enough or he's, you know, he's, he's a uh, coaches will use lots of, of, of words that are probably more emotional or more descriptive in a language that doesn't always align with what you as a practitioner need to know exactly to work on. So we spend a lot of time going, okay, well, PSR is our language, but let's talk to the coaches and understand what they want and in what context and how, how to digest if it's really a, a speed and power issue, if it's a transition issue they, that they need to understand how to transition between shuffling and running forwards and backwards and, and fending off an offender uh, or defender. Like, is it a transition issue? 
is it a confidence issue it, it, in in um in pre-planned uh, actions are they happy and do they perform well is their psr score really cool and the velocity is nice but when there's a ball in hand or when they have to be next to a defender or or have to work tactically that that's where it crumbles understanding if it's a physical technical thing from a running perspective if the transition elements are the issue or if just the confidence and psychology of the athlete is the issue is really important because then we use our game speed model we go okay well we need to spend more time in zone one and two of our model which is very much pre-planned or we need to spend more time in the middle which is a bit of chaos but still has elements of pre-planned or actually do we need to go right to the end do they need more time on pitch one-on-one -on -one with coaches doing their drills in live scenarios and problem solving that and gaining the confidence there and often um, even for healthy players in season um, uh, an individualized session can can be a mixture of the three where you use your one and two levels or your zero to one level um, to to give them confidence remind them of of how it feels and, and almost to potentiate some of the actions. And then you layer in the other work to add more chaos, add more complexity and check for understanding. So game speed really is about hardware and software. That's what I've just described, that having the physical capabilities that you might build in a gym, having the uh, let's say um, efficient capabilities that you'll build in, in locomotive tasks, in special strength, in, in, in athletic movements, so you can sequence and make sense of coordination. These things are all really good. But you've got to go away and make sure you can technically do it in your environment under the same constraints and in the same kind of context. Um, and you have to be confident. And I think this last part of confidence is, is sometimes maybe underappreciated that just because you spend lots of times in your environment doesn't mean you're improving on your tasks. And often confidence is the limiting factor to you improving. And that's not just confidence like my ego, I'm a confident person, but it's confidence in cutting aggressively off my right side in the 90 degree cut. I might be only happy to do it off my left. Um, it might be confidence in um, my, my right leg. Maybe I'm coming back from an injury. Maybe I, I would actually rather choose scenarios and and um, and be in positions where I don't have to utilize my right side. Coaches might be making some decisions um, and analysis about uh, your positioning on the pitch, how far you are from defender, your ability to keep your distance in, in a zone defense. But And they might think it's a tactical thing, whereas actually I may just not be very confident. I may feel more confident giving a player more space so I can see what's happening. Or I may be confident crowding that player because then they can't get away from me. And so I'm making tactical issues based on my psychology and my confidence. And that confidence is underpinned by a physical limitation or physical strength. And so it's important. I find myself more and more sitting in this middle zone. I'm not an SSC coach. I'm not a technical coach. I'm this kind of person in the middle who understands physical principles, overload, and, and how to stress tissues, but also understands training transfer and, and actually reverse engineering a movement, whole part holding a movement, adding layers of complexity and speaking in the language that coaches and players want to hear. Um, I think this is the space that most of us should be moving into um, because that's where you, you get your maximum transfer. That's where you create a language that's shared across 
all of the disciplines. Um, and and quite frankly, to me, that's where you you, you maximize your success. So I won't go further into it, but really here we are is describing um, uh, or illustrating what I've talked about, about these levels zero to, to six. We're just moving from maybe typical off-season, pre-season, in-season work. You could see it that way. It really, it's layering in levels of complexity. Often what we see is that there's an inverse in intensity, that if you really want to create the key stresses that you want on your posterior chain, on your calf, on, on, on your pelvis, on, on the system, on the nervous system, you take the ball, you take defense away, you take tactics away, you take the game away and allow the, the, the player to be an athlete. So I've talked about projection, switching and reactivity. And shown you a video in acceleration of what that might look like. Now, projection is really hip displacement. And in most scenarios, we want to displace ourselves. That's we want to get away. We want to move towards it from go from A to B. Um, in breaking, clearly, we want to stop going in a certain direction and redirect ourselves. Um, but the principles apply. Projection is about displacement. Switching really links to your pelvis and how you, you manage your pelvis. And stiffness is all about what you're doing on the ground how your foot, ankle, calf con um, complex are utilizing the ground to recycle energy um, and, and, and allow you for your next step, prepare you for your next step. The same principles apply in max velocity, breaking and change of direction. If you want to see how this progresses, um, Alan Murdoch down at Speedworks Bath, he's put together a really cool video just showing the different levels. This is during the ACL rehab of this player, Anthony Watson, a superstar rugby player who we've been helping for a number of years. Um, and it just shows you that there are, the basics apply. We're still asking him to take, take care of the basics that we talked about in level one, but we just start to add layers and layers of complexity, layers, layers of maybe context specificity. And what's nice is that in these scenarios, yes, beating the man, um, getting away, creating space or taking spaces becomes more and more of the goal because that's what invasion sports and team sports are all about. But we, we still make reference to his ability to project, exchange his limbs, be reactive. If you try to sidestep someone and you don't have stiffness in your ankle, you're gonna be slow. If you have good stiffness, but you don't actually re-project, you don't project yourself in the distance you want to go, you're going to get caught. If you project yourself really well, but you don't switch, you're following steps, they're going to be slow. You're going to get caught. You might break through defensive line, you're going to get caught. Again, Twitter will have you believing that it's one or the other. You either train someone like a linear speed coach will train them, or you train them with lots of chaos and there's no in-between. Um, whereas every good rehab coach knows that they have to go from simple to complex, from relatively pre-planned to chaotic. And so sit in the middle. I, I always have a sore bum. I'm always in the fence, right? So sitting in the middle is not a bad thing. Just to listen.
Hailu Fiadras um, has put together this slide here. Um, Hailu works in soccer. He's been at Chelsea for a, a very long time. Um, and then he worked for us, and now he's with England, with with, um, with the FA. And his big focus is transition movements. And all we're illustrating here is the key movements, moving sideways, backwards, having to do a drop step, having to, to turn and pivot. Um, we can measure all of these things. And that view motion is developing as an app and, and really giving us the ability to not just look at a linear sprint, but look at multiple actions and ask ourselves, are they efficient and are they effective in multiple skills, not just running in a straight line? And again, people will argue, okay, well, in pre-planned versus chaotic activities, there are different technical models. I think if you're dealing with lots of velocity going in one way and you know you're about to cut, there is a good versus a bad way of doing it. If you want to overload braking, eccentric qualities in locomotive tasks, you need to use activities that have decent velocity and then an abrupt stop. And so we do need a coaching eye to be able to know the difference. And we do need to be able to illustrate to the players what is difference in your ability to have trunk discipline have shin discipline in order to be able to um, be reactive and elastic into contact. Being able to sit, not fold. And sitting versus folding is really key for us. In NFL, we see everyone fold. It's part of a tactical thing to almost illustrate that you're going in a certain direction when you're putting the brakes on. But actually, all of the research is really clear that if you want more hammies, you want more issues, you should fold in your deceleration instead of sit. If you don't want the issues, sitting more and being able to essentially control your center of mass and control your trunk, create co-contractions around your pelvis is actually a good thing. And so there's there's a challenge there. Technical, tactical thought process in American football, you know, DBs running hard and sl slamming on the brakes and folding versus what's an efficient way to, to you know, support your hamstring groin quads during breaking action. So we're illustrating those key points here. Can you sit, not fold? Do you have a big touchdown distance? Can you rotate and be in a position ready to push? Uh, I always say it, Lauren Lando talks about um, breaking gas. And uh, a few years ago, we had in one, one of our podcasts. Um, I am plugging that right now. You go to the website, Speedwatch Training, you can go and grab it. <laughs> but essentially Lauren talked about breaking gas and I was like breaking gas he's like the good ones as they're dropping and getting into a breaking position they're already reorientating themselves with one limb breaking and the other limb getting ready to push straight away so they're not getting stuck in the hole and that's what we will talk about a slow breaking action is getting stuck in the hole if you see someone do a drop jump and they're on landing they're still sinking they're getting stuck in the hole. When you see someone do a drop jump and on landing, they're actually already starting to extend. So they're almost landing in a semi-bent position, they're already extending. That's getting out of the hole quickly. You're not getting stuck in the hole. I'm sure there's some kind of eccentric rate of force development or eccentric impulse in a certain meter and certain time frame that would correlate with this. The ability to get in and out is really critical when we talk about change of direction. Again, we can measure this in a, in a simple 10.05 um, a simple braking or change of direction test.
So again, this is a slide from, from Hilo's presentation, but I thought it would be worthwhile having here that, again, we're talking about similar things. Do you have physical qualities? And can you apply them in an efficient technical manner? And what's really nice is the KPIs for acceleration, which are away from PSR, projection switching and reactivity, following KPIs are clear about acceleration. We go from a low to high hip position. The lower our hip is, the bigger we can push, um, the bigger distance we can have behind our hip in pushing. I haven't described that very well. The lower our hip is, the bigger toe off distance. So we can have a big triple joint extension behind ourselves. The higher our hip is, you can try it, stand up, stand up and put your foot as far behind you as you can and then sit a bit deeper, you can always reach further back, right? So the, uh, a low to high position is what we expect in acceleration. We expect that your trunk is disciplined so that even if you're pushing aggressively and rising aggressively, that your trunk rises smoothly and stays neutral relative to your pelvis. Touchdown distance, trunk. Um, and, uh, and, and we expect that your distances get bigger and bigger, your step lengths get bigger and bigger across the run. Now in deceleration, it's actually the opposite. Now, I didn't know if it was actually gonna be the opposite until we took a uh, hundred break change of directions from professional players in soccer and in rugby, men and women, and we did the correlation analysis and we're really happy because we saw very similar things. So the similar things that we saw are that the the guys who can control the, the guys and girls, right, who can control their trunk when breaking hard. So these guys are running in from 10 meters. They start breaking around four to five meters out. When slamming the brakes on, those who can control their trunk were better off. They were that, that correlated with better performance. Those who had a bigger touchdown distance, who can put their foot further away from their hip, correlated well with height or the better performance. And those who can lower their hip height during the breaking action correlated better. So even though I've illustrated it on, on various strides towards the end of the breaking, the data is based on the average across the breaking phase. So those who can lower their hip on average across their last four steps the most, actually, not, not, not even necessarily the most, but a lot had um, a good correlation with great performance. Those who can control their trunk across those four or five steps well had good performance and those who could have a big touchdown distance across those five steps. And like I said, it's the inverse to sprinting. It's the inverse to acceleration. And it's really nice because... Um, don't trust me, trust the data. That's really what the main message is in all of this. Don't trust me, trust the data. And um, so what's what's nice is that we've um, we've gone from analyzing videos with kinematics manually, spending an hour per run and loving it because we're geeks and we gnaws over the data um, to building a system that was getting runs done, you know, maybe manually in 15 minutes. And that was great. And now we partner with Umotion and um, we don't have any workflow. 
we put the videos into the software, we click a button, 24 hours later, we get our data, we get our PSR reports. And, and, and it means that you as practitioners don't need to understand the data. You can learn, you can learn through it. You can take some of it and put in your AM in your in your AMSs or whatever it is you whatever systems you have. But you don't have to have a PhD or understand trigonometry to to coach it. You you just need to understand the, the KPIs. Um, you need to uh, trust me or trust the data and be able to take our wisdom and apply it in your environment. And and, and guess what? Your players, your your staff, and yourself will, will improve and um, I guess have more value by just taking what you need to know rather than all the data that's out there. That's definitely the main lesson and the main message out of all of this. We've done the maths. We've done the work for you. You just take it and use it in your environments and and as a result, accelerate rehab, accelerate performance and make your guys happy and fast. That's me. Great. It was fantastic. Um, I'm really curious. So if I'm someone that is extremely interested in PSR, like University of Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. I'm like, man, like I said, we have 19 sports and maybe field sport wise, we have like lacrosse, both soccers. Um, if I wanted to get and become a part of Umotion and have you guys kind of help access and, and manage that data on the back end, how would that relationship or what would the steps look like for that? Just in case anybody's interested or even myself. So. Uh, for those that are interested in, in PSR, we have speedsolutions.training. And this is our, our new website where you can go to inquire, you can find out more information and you can purchase tests. And it's really simple. You you come to us, you buy a certain amount of tests or, or you come and buy a package and we can support you throughout the whole year. Um, if you're a team and you buy a package, then what you'll get is um, sprint, acceleration, max velocity or change of direction tests. You can test bounding and jumping and, and whatever it is that you, you want on a linear plane at the moment, in a sagittal plane. You just sign up through the website. You get access. We give you some training, some onboarding. And if you're a team and you, let's say, yes, yesterday you tested 50 of your players and you simply uploaded it and pressed the button, we would make an appointment and say, great, guys, let's do a review um, in the next three days. And so you get your data back, you get your reports, you even get some exercise selection and, and some exercise menus that we change every couple months. And um, um, you get some time to digest it. So normally it's three or four days after your testing day. Then we sit down and say, right, here's our summary. Here's what we've seen. Um, any questions, any puzzles, any rehabbers, any issues, any contradictions. You might perceive a certain player to be really fast or efficient. And we've said they're not and indicate let's have a conversation about it and be clear about it. So um, if your team and you're, and you're buying packages, then there's always a scenario where we can review with you. Um, if you're an individual or you're, or you're just buying a number of tests in most scenarios, we'll still jump on the call and give you a bit of guidance um, because this is still relatively brand new for a lot of people. So we are here to digest and do the maths. So that's what I'll do. I'll go to speedsolutions.training um, check us out, send us an email. All our contact details are there. Um, if you've got any questions and, and yeah, we're just here to help. Awesome. That's extremely helpful because we only have so much time in the day. So having your guys' assistance to break down some of this film would be extremely helpful. So thanks for that, Jonas. Um, one more question right. before we close things out. 
I'm curious, you're always up to something. So um, any exciting projects coming up? Are you speaking anywhere? Um, anything you want to share before we close things out? Yeah, I, um, I am in Arizona on the 1st of December um, to present with someone who I shouldn't say yet until he announces it, which will be very soon, which will be really cool, a sports medicine group. Uh, a practitioner who I've studied and watched for a long time and feel honoured that he's invited me to come and speak. So I'm there on the 1st of December and I kind of want to be in the States for two weeks. So I, I need someone to invite me over to do something in the end of November. Um, and and so I'm uh, reaching out to let people know I'm around. I'm going to be stateside um, and I want to do some gigs where I've got a cool gig going, going on with a baseball team at the moment and i and, um, that's been really cool because them as an organization are really cool. I've got really good, a good group of open-minded lateral thinking coaches and therapists. And so, and I say that because they got me down last year for CPD. I was over in Arizona with them. This is a separate organization. Um, we've been speaking, we've been sharing and in in-season speed. I don't think it's done really well in baseball. They do it really well and they just only want to do it better. Um, and so uh, two years ago, I wouldn't know anything about baseball. And now I know a bit more. Um, we've got a group that are using our system in the NBA, a second group coming on as well. And that's forcing me to learn some new language around NBA. And we've got some coaches in, in Europe who are coaching some um, some hockey guys, some ice hockey guys in the off season. And so that's forcing me to start to understand a bit more about the dynamics of ice hockey. Um, and so I guess what's new is more like, what are you guys going to bring me that's new? Bring me a puzzle, bring me a new sport, bring me a, someone that's re-injury or getting re-injured all the time and, and let me help support you with mentoring and, and, and all those bits. But most most importantly, I want to be in the, I'm going to be in the States at the end of November and um, I'm just waiting for some invites. So um, who's who's first? Awesome. I'm sure many people will reach out because you're a massive resource. Me, pop, like being selfish, but we are in the north, so we might have to find multiple visits. But yeah, no. Well, just, I said that to Ryan. He said, he said, oh, well, Arizona isn't very close to Texas. And I'm like, mate, everywhere's close by airplane. Like, <laughs> For sure. Uh, airplane. Uh, if I've flown 10 hours from the UK, I'm going to fly another hour or two just to get to go and have a cuddle with Ryan Grubbs. So there's no problem with that. 100%, Jonas. All right. Well, best way to contact you if people want to follow up with questions, whether social media. A lot of questions. Yeah, social media on Twitter. I'm eat, sleep, train, underscore. Um, and, our, and our speed works is speed, underscore, works, underscore, something like that. But speed works, stop training on, on social media. Um, and um, you can always email info at speedworks.training to get my wife, Julie, not me. Um, because I'm terrible on emails. Go go to Julie. She will always connect you. We'll, you know, she's the she's the boss. She is the boss. She is the so. boss. She is great and was an amazing athlete. If you guys didn't know, so um, yeah, Beijing Olympian. She'll never say it out loud. Um, now she's a super mom and, and admin and, and the boss of Speedworks. There you go. That's awesome, Jonas. Well, Jonas, thank you so much for your time today and all the information you shared. Just remember everybody, projection, switching, and reactivity, PSR. I got it locked in. So thanks, Jonas. Have a great day. Nice one. See ya. Bye-bye.